morning. My name is Emily. This is the part of our time together today when we get to talk about charitable giving. Um, for those of you who are on our um, communication email list, you would have heard from Jeff already in the last short while here about the fact that we are looking at a bit of a shortfall by the end of this year. Um, things have been tough all around for everybody and we've not been exempt from that. And so um, initially when Jeff sent out that message, we were um, in a position where we were expecting about a $20,000 shortfall um, from our budget this year. And we want to thank you for responding um, to that in a generous way. We're currently just over half of making up um, that that difference that we need, but we still would love to invite you to join us in that to support the work that Friends Church does. Um, you can consider a one-time donation to help us with that shortfall. We're asking for those um, donations by December the 1st, or you could also consider um, doing something with our pre-authorized giving, which allows us to really focus on budgeting and planning um, for a sustainable future. Either one of those options would be um, very much appreciated. You can access any of that on our website, through our app, or if you're giving on a one-time basis through the black box at the back of the auditorium here. So we just want to thank you for partnering with us and encourage you to consider um, seeing if you can help us get through to the end of the year and, and carry on. For those of you that are with us in person today, I also want to invite you to our discussion group. It is going to be happening after Jeff speaks today, after we're finished in the chapel, which is just down the hallway past the library. So we would love for you to come talk through some of the, of the ideas and things that have been brought up here on stage uh, and just have a good time connecting with others. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thank you, Emily. Appreciate that. And good morning, everyone. Hope you are all well, whether you're joining us in person or uh, are, are online watching in or listening to the podcast. It's, uh, it's feeling more and more normal here. I don't know if you guys get that sense, but if you're new here, uh, you know, this, this place used to be pretty full on a Sunday morning and with the chairs are still pretty spaced out and there's lots of gaps, but I don't know, it just feels nice. Glad you're here. If you're new... I hope you can settle in and enjoy. Uh, I want to, just before I get rolling here, um, put out a little disclaimer. Um, maybe a little bit of a trigger warning. If you have sensitivities around uh, colorful language, uh, I'm just going to, just kind of, uh, I want to be sensitive to, to people, but it's part of the message this morning. And so I'm just going to, throw that out there. If, uh, if you're feeling somewhat uh, offended by when someone drops some uns what you would consider an unsavory word, um, chances are I'm going to stand the hair up on the back of your necks maybe a little bit today. And so um, I just hope you get the point. I, I really hope. You know, many of us grew up in religious circles where we were forbidden to swear Thankfully, there were substitute words, though, you could use, you know? How many learned those? <laughs> we, as kids, we figured those out pretty quick. You know, rather than saying shit, you could say shoot. And that would pass the filter okay. No one was getting upset. You know, rather than dropping the F-bomb, you could say frick or 
fix auto, you know. They, even, even modern culture has given us some help these days. Whatever you said, you were never to say, oh my God, or Jesus Christ, in a fit of anger, panic, or fear. How many, how many knew those rules? Uh, if you grew up in those, yeah. I mean, technically, rather than saying Jesus Christ, you could say cheese and rice. You know, those were workarounds. But these phrases specifically would have you in spiritual jeopardy, big time. Um, by saying them, you were in violation of the second commandment. That's what we understood. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. This was my understanding of what it meant to take the Lord's name in vain. Can I ask a question? Is it true that by saying, oh my God, or Jesus Christ, in that moment of rage or panic or fear, that somehow you're offending a divine being out there who then pulls out his pen and starts writing down that offense on your personal spiritual rap sheet. Is that what's going on? Is that at some point you learn what you've done that's pissed off God? Is, is that what this is about? Or that he's actually going to punish you? I mean, could it be that God is wincing in pain or anger at someone's casual or flippant use of his name or the name of Jesus? The truth is, I don't know. That's the honest truth. I can't, I haven't been able to really get the straight answer out of God. I'm not sure anyone really knows. But I'll tell you honestly, I'm not convinced that that's what this commandment of taking the Lord's name in vain really is about. In fact, I think it, it's about something entirely different. And I want to explore that with you this morning. Um, first of all, we need to understand something about family names. I think that's connected. You know, in our culture here in Canada, Choosing names, you know, like, or, or family names, you know, there's not a whole lot of attention given to one's family name here other than being able to separate you and the male from the next person so your bills don't get missed, you know? Like, oh, you're Jarvis and she's Mrs. Jones. Oh, okay, yeah, here you go, here you go. The meaning of the family name, maybe in, in little pockets, but for the most part, People aren't kind of advertising what their family name really means. But in cultures way back, I mean, if you go way back to the Hebrew or Jewish culture, the meaning of your family name and what it stood for was incredibly important. Proverbs tells us a good name is more valuable than great riches. You can imagine in small rural communities where everyone would have known everyone. If your family developed a bad reputation... You know, if you were screwing people over, if you were mean to your neighbors, 
if you're hurting people directly or indirectly, word gets out. You know, the community kind of has a way of voting people off the island, whether that's socially or economically. They have a way, right, of kind of taking care of business and making sure. On the flip side, though, if you were a respected family, if you were known in the, in the community as a family that cared or did really upright work, you know, if you were a good neighbor, if you came to the rescue of people, that word got out. And in turn, when you would speak up, say you're asking for help of the community, or if you were speaking up against something and you're saying, guys, I do not agree with this, your word, your influence would be felt. People would listen. People would come. People would respond to the things you're saying of, of, of a high reputation, or your family name meant a lot. And that doesn't, you know, like, you know, uh, these family names, they take on these identities, right? I mean, you say the, the family name, the Rockefellers, instantly you have a picture of what that means. You say the Sutters, right? Oh, there's a hockey family. It has an identity, Right? And it's not just biological families that have these kind of identities. You know, you think about the Hell's Angels. You, you walk into an establishment wearing a jacket with Hell's Angels on the back of your... That family has an identity all to itself, doesn't it? You wear that badge on your back. You are making a loud statement about who you are, what you stand for, what your life is about to everyone around you. Isn't that true? That patch embodies a way of life, a set of values, much like any family name. You know, in a similar way, our religious affiliation, the church or the denomination that you've been a part of, it represents a certain set of values and identities. You know, throughout my life, I've been a part of um, the Christian tradition. That's what I was born and raised into. Um, I attended a Christian church. Um, and there's lots of different Christian churches, right? In fact, for those of you that have grown up in church, if we were to do a poll, probably within this community, there are who knows how many different kinds of traditions within the Christian family that you're coming from. And I don't know about you, but the term Christian is becoming more and more problematic for me. I've grown more and more nervous about identifying with people as Christian. And that might sound really strange and almost problematic for a Christian pastor to be saying that. But it's just that there are so many pictures of what Christian means. There's a lot of people wearing Christian patches. But what they represent, what their life represents, what, what they value, how they live, can look very different one from the next to the next. 
And if I was really honest, sometimes what I've seen is some of the most popular characterizations of Christian is something I'm not really proud of. Some believe spirituality, the, the, the name Christian is measured by, you know, their level of spirituality as a Christian is measured by their church attendance. Some believe that by kind of coming, showing up on ch- church on Sunday is somehow some form of real measurement of your spirituality. If you don't, hmm, that tells them a lot. Some believe that their marital status is an indicator of your spirituality. Some believe it's their doctrinal beliefs that really truly separate them from the rest and identify them as Christian, as long as you're holding the right ones. For some, it's their political stance, the party they vote for. The issues they're voting on makes them spiritual and Christian. And those that would vote against those things obviously aren't. Some believe it's their sexual orientation that qualifies them or someone else's social or um, sexual orientation that disqualifies them. Some believe they can detect one's spirituality by the kind of language they use, by the curse words they avoid. I can tell you right now, is that person spiritual? Well, not by the way they're talking. Absence of tattoos, whether they drink or don't drink, uh, on and on, smoke, don't smoke. All these measurements that are out there, they believe wearing the badge is really about. Sadly missing from many current expressions of spirituality, of Christianity, is a mandate to love and care for one's neighbor. That has honestly seemed to be so central to the Judeo-Christian message from the very beginning. And what has happened is it's resulted in almost a, a, a borderline narcissistic form of spirituality that is literally what can you do for me and how can you make my life better? Now, maybe my focus, maybe my, the things I'm noticing in the Christian world that I'm looking at and studying is, is biased, or maybe it's, it's only looking at certain parts. That, that could very well be. I'm not saying that it's all like that, but it's troubling to me. It just seems like a deep departure from the heart of what this thing all was built on. I mean, the children of Israel had a very particular understanding of the values of their God, Yahweh, the God they worshiped, the God of the Bible. There's no question they believed that Yahweh cared deeply about them as a people, as individuals. But they especially understood that Yahweh cared about the oppressed, those who were suffering, those who were under the boot, of those in power, the down and out, the struggling. They believe there is some strong divine imperative to alleviate 
the plight of the poor. This was drilled into them again and again. The laws they established within the spiritual community, Jewish employers were to pay their day laborers immediately. Most of these people were living hand to mouth. They hardly had anything. After a day of work, you pay them immediately. That was a rule. They were expected to give free loans to the poor, even knowing the chances of them, that person defaulting on that loan was high. Doesn't matter. Loan them some money. Farmers were, were challenged to leave part of their harvest for the poor. They, weren't, they, were, they were asking them, leave some edges so that people can come in and get some grain that are, that are starving. Take care of these people. When someone redeemed a fellow Jew who had sold himself into slavery because he had no money, when someone rescued him, paid the debt off to get him free, there would be a huge celebration. This was the point of their worship. This was the heart. If you wanted to embrace, if you wanted to worship Yahweh's your God to be a part of Yahweh's tribe, community, you would live a life that demonstrated that you gave a shit about your neighbor. And in doing so, you would take on Yahweh's name. You would wear the patch by doing that. You would represent his tribe. Now, if you, stare, if you study carefully the stories of the Bible, you will notice a very particular pattern. It happened, it seems, again and again. Followers of Yahweh would find themselves drifting away from the mandate, getting absorbed in their own lives. Focusing on things other than taking care of their neighbor. They would identify with all these rituals and religious practices. That became more and more the flavor, the look, the feel, the purpose of their spirituality. At one point in history when this seemed to be happening, one of the biblical writers penned a letter to the children of Israel. Only in God's words. It's like God is speaking. This is what the writer wrote. Bring no more futile sacrifices. All these festivities, feasts my soul hates. They're trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Even though you make all these fancy prayers, I will not hear Your hands are full of blood. In this passage, God is saying, according to the writer, enough of all the religious pomp and ceremony. You want to get it right? Here's what I want you to do. Here's what he says. Learn to do good. Seek good justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Notice how this has nothing to do with a lot of the the Sunday ceremony and the religious technicalities. No, stand up to the bully who's picking on that kid, that family. Take care of that person who's struggling. Don't just watch someone get screwed. Stand up for that person. You're missing the point. 
is what I hear this passage saying. Now you fast forward hundreds of years. Now Jesus shows up on the scene. And it's like Jesus is saying the same kind of thing again and again. At one point, he's telling a story. And many of us who have grown up in the tradition know the story inside out. Guy's traveling. He gets jumped on the side of the road, beaten up, robbed, left for dead. In the story, Jesus says, a rabbi shows up. Now, in that day, rabbis were the spiritual rock stars. No one did it better No one was more spiritual, tuned in to the divine powers than the rabbi. In Jesus' story, the rabbi shows up, sees the guy as he's traveling. And what does he do? He ignores him. In fact, he crosses over to the other side of the road so he can ignore him. Character number two in the story, Jesus says, a a religious, I don't know, what was his word? I'll get it. Religious scholar approaches him, a temple assistant, which would have been like a church leader, someone too, who knew the rules, knew the technicalities, knew all the proper things to do it right before God. He's traveling, sees the guy, crosses the street, says no. Then Jesus throws a crazy curveball. And and many who don't understand that culture don't understand what a crazy stunt this was in this story. But Jesus pulls out character number three. A despised Samaritan shows up on the scene, traveling. To that Jewish community, you you couldn't say a more foul you, you couldn't name someone that was more despised than the Samaritans. They were considered the most unspiritual, heathen, ungodly people. They called them unclean. They looked down on them. They, had, they didn't have, want anything to do with these people. They didn't want to cross over into their territory where they lived. They were the epitome of unspiritual. Jesus says a despised Samaritan comes along and sees the man laying on the ditch. And his heart goes out to him. Filled with compassion, he he goes running over to him and starts practicing first aid. Disinfecting, bandaging his wounds. He lifts him up on his donkey. He takes him into a place where the guy can be restored. And then Jesus says, who got this right? Who is representing Yahweh best? Well, I can tell you right now, that Jewish community didn't want to answer that question. They're like, no, give us another option here. Jesus says, who got it right? He was pushing it so far to say, do you see the point of all of this? He asked the question, finally, one of the religious scholars speaks up. He says, who got it right? He says, well, the guy who was kind to the, his neighbor. Yeah. And then Jesus says, yeah, go and be like the Samaritan. Yeah. 
I can talk like it's like so obvious. I'm like, who, if, who in the right mind who would want to be on a spiritual journey wouldn't be doing this? But I'll be the first to admit that there are many days when I absolutely get this so backwards. I get so immersed in my life. My problem becomes so big. Everyone else has become so small. It happens, doesn't it? It happens so easily. But we don't know in the process. The impact, the way that our life then in those moments fans out. You know, I was driving home from work a while back and traffic was pretty bad. It's, it's getting worse, isn't it? This, fixing the pandemic has its problems. Um, anyways, this vehicle comes up flying behind me, and I'm kind of following it in my rear view mirror, and it's, now it's right up on my bumper. And you know how they, you know, when they're in a hurry, they're kind of going back and forth like this, and, you're, and I'm looking back, I'm going, who is that? And I'm just, I'm getting annoyed. I'm like, I can't go any faster, pal. But he's right on my bumper. I'm thinking, if I just tap my brakes, that guy's going into my taillights. So I'm totally distraught. Finally, I'm like so upset. I put on my signal light and I squeeze into the other lane. And I'm, I'm waiting for that guy to come up to give me a piece of his mind, you know, to give him a piece of my mind. I'm just, I'm just like, buddy, we're not going anywhere. So he does. He comes up. All of a sudden I realize it's a work van. He's driving a company van. You know what I'm thinking immediately? I want to know who that company is. I, I want to figure it out because anyone that's driving that van. No, it wasn't actually our, our friend's church van. Thank you. We don't have one. You're going to see my point in a second. I want a word with that company. In fact, you know what? I, I don't want to do any business with that company. I want nothing to do with them if that's the kind of idiots they employ. Call me judgmental. Drive like an, a decent human being. You know what I think? I think many of us at times have been unknowingly driving the company vans of our religious or spiritual affiliations, not realizing. Not realizing how much damage our loveless expressions of religion can be to the world around us. And what's strange is when when you're in it, you, you don't realize just how much of a foul odor that kind of religion gives off. But the outside world smells it. They can pick it up in a heartbeat. It was Cory Booker, a U.S. senator, who a number of years ago had these very sobering words to the Christians he had encountered. So what he said, he said, before you speak to me about your religion, First, show it to me in how you treat other people. Before you tell me how much you love your God, show me in how much you love all his children. Before you preach to me of your passion for your faith, teach me 
about it through your compassion for your neighbors. In the end, I'm not as interested in what you have to tell or sell as I am in how you choose to live and give. Folks, my best guess is that this right here is what that second commandment was trying to get at. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. People misrepresenting, living contrary to the core beliefs, missing the point of the religion they were supposedly following. One too many of these Christian work vans on the road flying the Christian flag but driving like assholes. And it's leading people to think that it's all about something much different than it was actually meant to be. Could it be that to live in a hypocritical way is exactly what it means to take the Lord's name in vain? You know, we've been saying for a long time that Christianity needs a rebrand. The word Christian needs to be renovated so that people could think of it in a different way. And I'm not sure. Like, I'm not sure if it's even possible. I don't know if it's redemptive. I know that there are many people in our community right here who are listening to this that are saying, Jeff, I don't tell anyone I'm a Christian for these very reasons. I I don't fly the Christian flag. I don't, in fact, I'm scared to tell people that I even go to church for these very reasons. So I'm not here this morning to say, hey, put the Christian patch on your badge and let everyone know, but live, great. You know, I don't even know. I don't even know if that's what I want to tell you. I guess maybe what I want to want to get at is that the point underneath all that we do, we believe, is about living in a way that gives a shit about our neighbors, that cares, that loves about people beyond just ourselves. And that, by the way that we live, the flavor of that rushes off. It inspires. It challenges people to do the same thing. Jesus looked at people and says, you, you are like lights. You're like candles. Let that light shine. Just let your good works infect the world. People say, do you have a problem with Jesus? I have zero problems with Jesus. In fact, he is... He is the thing that has motivated me at times when I was so disillusioned. It was this figure that I read about who just seemed to get what mattered. And in the way he lived, I go, I will give my life for that cause. I will invest my life 
challenge people to live that way. So Christian, I don't know if the two seem even connected in most of the world's eyes. But I want to live that way. I want to get that right. And I guess that's what I'm asking you to consider. If you're on this spiritual journey, don't miss the point of all this. That's it. You do have a light. You can inspire goodness in your world. You can tell people you're on a spiritual journey. You can. But just stay close to this very thing. Giving a shit about your neighbor. Around here, we, we, we've called it a lot of different things. We've, we've challenged people to take water to your world. Water can be anything that you can do that's in you, through you, to, to, to make someone's life a little better. Make your world a little better. We said, we don't care what your water is. We don't care what it is you do, what your talents are, what your resources are. Do something with them. We have this value around here. We call it an action-oriented spirituality. We value an action-oriented spirituality. We believe that our spiritual ancestors, they saw their faith journey, their spiritual journey. It's more of a way of life. The early followers of Jesus were known as people of the way. It was, they were known for the way they lived their selfless lives for the world around them. It was more that than, than this internally set of beliefs that they could memorize, say. We believe the effect of living out true spirituality will repair our worlds, restoring it to the picture God intended. This is what we've been saying for a long, long time around here. And people have been doing it. Heard a story of a single dad in a tough place. He, has, he, he got laid off. He was in a, in a big problem. And so his, his spouse had custody of the kids. He's living with his parents. He just feels like just this, this failure as a dad. Someone hears this story, books a hotel that has a water slide for a weekend and gives it to this guy and says, invite your your kids out. Made this guy a hero to his kids. Spent the whole weekend playing and loving on his... I go, oh, yeah. There's a woman really down on her luck. She's been trying to get a job. Just couldn't even get an interview. Someone hears her story. Here's enough of Uses their influence in the company. Uses their credibility to get an interview for that woman. Yes. Guy gets dumped by his girlfriend. He's been lowering into this depression. Friend says, uh, I'm going to get some tickets to the hockey. I know he loves the Flames game. Flames. Getting them out. You see, these little, little actions. Some go, what's that? This is water. You know, we may not have beggars lining up on the sides of the road, but we've got people all around us that are in these difficult, 
trying times. And our ability to live out our spirituality is right there. James, writer of James said, anyone who sets himself up as religious by talking a good game is self-deceived. This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes mustard before God, the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight and guard against the corruption from the godless world. You know, all I would ask is if you're going to identify as a spiritual person, and I would encourage you to identify that way. If you're going to take on the Lord's name in whatever respect that might mean, just be careful how you drive the van. If you're going to get caught doing something, frickin' get caught giving a shit about your neighbor. Get caught doing that. Represent your spirituality well in the world this week. Uh, I want to close this morning by giving us all an opportunity to do this very thing in a very tangible, practical way. Um, Yeah. I want to invite Carrie... Uh, from Connections Agency to come and join me. For the last 14 years, we've been doing something every, every year at this time of year. Thank you, Carrie. Come on up. This is Carrie Lawson. I'll give you that. Thanks, Jeff. Um, yeah, we've been doing something known as a Christmas hamper giveaway. And... Uh, We don't know all the different families in our city that are really needing a helping hand. That's where Connections has really played a part. Carrie Lawson, um, you have been a part of Connections now for how long? Um, Just over 10 years. 10 years. Could you, you, thank you for being here this morning. Well, thank you for inviting me to come out today. I'm really happy to be here. I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about Connections. Sure, yeah. So Connections um, Connections for Families is an agency we've been around for just over 31 years. We work with families that have, one of the parents have a cognitive challenge and so have diverse learning needs and have faced many different challenges in their life just just because life is like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, we support our families in being the best parents that they can be. So, and we tend to stick around in families for a really long time. Um, our families are are connected to our agency for lifelong, so we're a little different than some parenting programs in the community where you come in and have sort of a set time, set skill, and off you go. Um, We support, right now we support just under 150 families, so about over 400 people. So we tend to look at the people we support as the whole family unit. So sometimes it's, it might be one parent and their child, a single family. Um, might be grandma and grandma live, grandma and grandpa live in the house. Might be siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, might be a supported neighbor that we help support the whole unit as a family. Typically, they are financially financially struggling. Yeah, many of the families, most of the families we support are on a very fixed income. They receive um, support through AISH funding. Um, 
Lots of our families also have some work that they do on and off, but sometimes that's a challenge as well. Mm-hmm. So they're on very fixed incomes. Um, I can't remember because I have COVID brain, but how long we've been very thankful to uh, receive support from Friends Church and your family here. You know, what we've been doing every year is, is inviting people to sponsor specific individuals that you guys have hand chosen. So these would be families especially are needing some support. I don't have a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And so you guys go out, you ask families for their, what, what they need and what they want. And so these families, depending on, uh, you guys come up with this list. And I mean, it's heartbreaking to read through the lists of these people that are just going, man, uh, you know, if, if you could just get my kids some warm mitts and a hat, a, w- a winter jacket. Some of them need sheets for their bed. Um, you know, like if you look through the list, so what we, get, what we do is we get this list from you guys. And this year we're sponsoring 20 families. 20 families that represent probably on average maybe three or four family members in each family. So there's quite a long list of just individuals. And then we take that individual, their list of needs and wants, we put them onto a little card. Now, it, it's online, but it's also out in the lobby where you'll see a Christmas tree. There's all these cards. Each one of those cards represents the needs and wants, or the, the, kind of the Christmas list for one individual. It could be a two-year-old. It could be a, a 13-year-old. It could be a mom or a dad. But anyways, we've, for 14 years now, invited people to grab a card, sponsor it. And if you can sponsor more than one, great. Um, but then what we do is we invite everyone to come on uh, this year. It's December 5th, bringing in the presents that people have bought. And we wrap them in the social hall. Get wrapping paper out, all these different tables. Everyone's wrapping up all these presents. We package them all up for each family, all labeled. And then we load them into a moving truck and we take them down to connections. And that's where... You know, I know that's where I met you first was on a Monday morning after a Sunday, rolling up with the moving van and kind of bringing in the stuff. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate because we don't get to see what happens beyond that. Most of the people, the last time they see those gifts are when we're wheeling them out of the social hall. But it is, it's impacting even for me to just show up and see you guys as we roll in. But I was wondering if you could maybe talk about kind of what happens at that point on. For sure, yeah. Well, first of all, your organization of just even pulling all of that off is so amazing. I mean, you talk about when you roll up to Connections office with this truck full of gifts and things for all of our families. Um, As an agency, it's absolutely just amazing to see you and your troop show up with all the gifts and unload them and we have them in a big open space and as we're sorting them into the piles this is for this family this is for this family it's just we're so grateful to see the gifts coming in and we know those families and we see oh this little one's going to love this gift and it's so exciting just mm. to see that part as a, as a, from the agency standpoint Um, But then comes our hamper delivery day. So we pick, we arrange that with all of the families so that we can plan to do it either when their kids are out at school or when their kids are napping so we can sneak it into the house and it can be a surprise. Um, But the moms or dads um, are just so thankful and so grateful for the gifts. I remember last year you had brought the gifts in um, laundry baskets 
and we were bringing some of the laundry basket, one of the laundry baskets into one of the homes, and the mom thought that was it. But no, there was still another box of stuff, and then another bag of stuff, and she was just so excited and so grateful to be able to provide um, gifts and something that was just really special for their child that they wouldn't have been able to provide that year. You know, the money would have been going to paying the rent and paying the bills and not giving that special dinner and that special gift and even a winter coat mm -hmm. that was going to be something that that kid was going to put on and every time they put it on, they're going to be, oh, here's my winter coat from Christmas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I've talked to many families over the years that have gotten their kids involved in shopping for these families and, um, you know, to involve their little six-year-old to ah, buy gifts for another six-year-old and to get those kids thinking through, holy smokes, like this kid just needs a winter jacket. I've got 14 of them. You know, to see the learning and, and the growing, this is shaping a culture to care about their neighbor. And uh, so this is an important part of our DNA here at Friends Church, and I'm just going to invite you to consider any part that you can play in that. Again, you can go to friendschurch forward slash .ca forward slash hampers. The, uh, the list is online. You just can go through that process. We'll talk more about that next week. Or you can grab a card at the back here. Carrie, I'm, I'm so grateful that you guys are, have been our link. You are vetting the families, and we know that these things are going to families who are deeply in need, and we're, we just want to say thank you to you guys. We know you do the lion's share of the, of the heavy lifting in a year. Well, thank you to everyone here. I mean, we wouldn't be able to do this without you. I mean, I, I know we were talking earlier, and I was just saying, the really neat thing is seeing the families, the parents, as they're getting their gifts and they're realizing that there's people out there that don't even know them that want to make their life so mm. much better. And like that's just really the very touching moment. Right so on. So thank you all for all the support you give to our families. Right on. We're well, we so grateful. We can't wait. We can't wait. And I know the, the Christmas Happer wrapping party is always a highlight. Last year due to COVID, we, we shut it down and we just asked everyone to wrap their own gifts and bring them here. This year, wear your mask. Let's go. Let's, let's have a big party in that social hall. Let's wrap up those things. You're, when you begin to see the collective, we jam a U-Haul, one of the biggest U-Hauls we can find. We jam that thing full of the generosity from this community, and we're going to do that again. 20 families, and, um, and, and, and who knows? Maybe more. We'll see. Uh, anyways, that's what it's about. You, want, you don't want to take the Lord's name in vain. How about, how about think deeply about what you can do to make your life, the life better of your neighbor? That's, that's what we're going to do. And uh, whether it's in this, there's so many different causes. And I know so many of you are volunteering, giving yourself in ways, taking water in ways that you have found appropriate. Line up with your gifts. Just do it. Do it. Let your light shine this week. All right. Good. That's, that's it for now. Thank you, um, thank you. Carrie. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us this morning. We'll be, uh, yeah, why don't we just thank Carrie for joining us this morning. I'll grab that from you. Have a great week, everyone. You can see the Christmas trees at the back. We continue with our Ten Commandments series next week.